Welcome to That's All, a weekly debrief about anything and everything happening in fashion and pop culture with Cozzy and Em. I'm Em. And I'm Cozzy. And welcome to episode 10. We've been slaying for 10 weeks and beyond, but slaying a joint slay for 10 weeks, I would say. We actually didn't want to start this until October because we thought we'd need so much more preparation. But now we're here, 10 episodes in, and it's not even the end of November. Yeah, who needs prep? We just we just have opinions and we speak to them. How has your week been? What have you been up to? What content can you wreck for us? My week has been good. I spent the weekend just chilling. I watched my first season ever of The Crown, which we will get into a little bit later, which was mildly traumatizing. Uh, and I need to discuss it in further detail, which we will do. It's been good. I've been consuming quite a bit of content, actually. So it was quite hard to narrow it down which you know I always struggle with for my recommendation but I'm going with a slightly different recommendation this week with a little YouTube video that really like touched my little soul I really loved it it's Carly Kloss's life and looks so Vogue um as we know but everyone else might not know um Vogue does these videos every so often with famous people from fashion film whatever uh where they go through a book of their life and looks the most iconic looks of their career and life and Carly Closted it, the model and now owner of ID magazine, which was also super random that happened. But basically Carly uh, went through her looks and different aspects of her career and she started off with the runway with her first time walking for Calvin Klein in 2007, which basically launched her career. This amazing Annie Leibovitz photo of her where it's like black and white, but her lips are in red. And uh, the photo where she got her hair cut in January Vogue, which was done by uh, Patrick Demarchelier of Devil Wears Prada fame. Get me Patrick. That's that Patrick. And the amazing 2011 Dior Haute Couture show. So many things. She just goes through so many memories. Her first time walking for McQueen, her last time seeing Lee McQueen, like her bond with the House of Dior. She was in so many couture shows for them. And they designed her wedding dress, which is so nice. And the iconic like Victoria's Secret show, which was in the middle of the 1989 Taylor Swift era for those playing along at home. I really enjoyed this. So it's only like 10 minutes. It's not long. And she goes through some more modern stuff too. But for me, uh, she was a very important person and a very like important model to me, if you can have models who are important to you, but I do. Because I think her career really took off about the time when I was really getting into fashion. I was like 12, about 12. I think when she was really... I was 12 in like what 2008 so she was sort of in the middle of her ascent to becoming I think one of the last like big supermodels like she opened for all of the big shows and I think she straddled that line between like pre-Instagram and the Instagram age. She was such a moment. Yeah she was such a recognizable face and I think like I think back to that 2011 couture show and it like it's like this floral kind of amazing motif show I'll post pictures of it and that really stayed with me and this like she wore this she opened the spring 2010 show in this amazing metallic trench and she had her hair done like a kind of 1940s femme fatale and she just looked amazing like and her bone structure is just off the charts like I just find her next level she's impossible to look away from especially in those early years and it was really cool to hear all her stories and like how she because she was so young and she tells the story of like how she had her junior prom or whatever and then the next week she was like in Paris opening for Dior and her prom dress was Dior oh my god so she started that young 
Yeah, she was so little. She was 15, I think, when she opened for Calvin in 2007. Some people are just born models. I know. And it took me back to like, I just remember so, I had so many pictures of her. Like the the one that really stayed with me as well was um the Marc Jacobs campaign for Lola, the perfume, which was like the pink bottle with the flower on it, which I think one of the Fanning sisters then took over doing either Elle or Dakota, but... I think it was Dakota. <laughs> yeah, it was a Dakota, yeah. It was, but Carly, like, originated that. And I remember I had a... I cut that out of Grazia or whatever. I cut, like, so many pictures of her out. I was obsessed with her. I love Carly Kloss, regardless of, like, the whole, like, Jared Kushner, Taylor Swift meme of it all. She's, like, independently of both of them, she's such a talent. And also, she now owns ID, which I mentioned before, which is super random. She's, like, pivoted to magazine ownership. Yeah, I saw that headline and kind of went, oh, is she just investing? But no, she fully owns it. She fully owns it now, which is so interesting. She was an investor in W Magazine. Yeah, which I didn't know. No, because they bought it out from Condé Nast and it was like her, Kai Gerber, Lewis Hamilton, like a rogue list of people saving this magazine. But you think if that's where her allegiance is... Why is she buying ID? Maybe she doesn't invest in W anymore. Maybe she wants both. I don't know. Or maybe she's like a part investor in W. Like her funds went to like securing that. And maybe then once they secured it, it's now independently backed by other people. And then she now owns ID. But she likes the idea of owning a magazine. I mean, respect. I like the idea of owning a magazine. And ID is the coolest magazine. I also would love money to be able to invest in magazines. I would, you know what I would do? I would like re, I would bring back Grazia as a weekly magazine, like how it was back in the day. I think we would both have thrived in the peak, in the magazine heyday. We would have both loved I it. I think I basically did. That's like what I would buy so many magazines. I still have all my collages of like all the things that I made and stuff. It was actually all primarily Grazia. Grazia was absolutely fantastic back in the day they did the best coverage it just makes me really sad yeah I think we both would have thrived I feel like this is like when I watch the devil was Prada I'm like you know what I think I would have been okay it could have been us I probably would have had like a breakdown a week but it would have been okay uh, yeah we would have had each other we wouldn't have had shit boyfriends like Nate we would have been I fine. literally was about to be like I wouldn't have that asshole who makes a fucking cheese sandwich and just bitches and moans the whole time I can't deal with him oh there's like ten dollars worth of Jarlsberg in this like shut up no one asked you no one asked you go go and support your loving wonderful partner get out of my face don't even get me started on the friends though do you think that Nate's worse or the friends are worse I think Nate is worse because I think he has more of an obligation to be not unconditionally supportive but just generally supportive just a little bit yeah just a tiny bit supportive yeah that's fair enough. I can't I can't get past the that the main girlfriend like taking the Mark Jacobs bag and then being really bitchy to Andy. She's like, This girl, I don't know this girl. After she takes the Mark Jacobs handbag and the the, the bang and Olivson phone. Yeah. What was her name? Lily? Lily. Oh. You can't just mooch off your magazine friend and then get mad. No, exactly. The only friend that was good was the kind of like other guy friend who was the only one who knew what runway was. Yeah, the super gay-coded one, yeah. Yeah, he was gay-coded, for sure. I loved him. Even though he still, they threw her phone around. That scene gives me so much anxiety. Every single time. I cannot imagine my friends doing that to me. I cannot imagine my partner doing that to me. I cannot imagine being in that environment with just a bunch of antagonists. 
grow up. Oh my God. Anyway, Emily, how was your week? What's your wreck? I have had a real week, a real month. November is truly the first day of the year. And I feel like this year I'm just extra feeling that. And I needed something really light and maybe a little bit reflective this week. So I started listening to Dua Lipa's podcast. It's called At Your Service. It's produced by BBC and and she just interviews very cool people and celebrities like Esther Perel and Greta Gerwig and Billie Eilish. Just a lot of people who are kind of doing press circuits at that point in time. Right. But she just sits down with them and has a relatively candid chat. And I think she has the most beautiful voice. I've never listened to her voice. She literally just interviewed Tim Cook. I'm looking now. Yeah. What it takes to run Apple. That is so intense. Random list. She has interviewed Russell Brand. I did not listen to that episode. I will not listen to that episode. We will ignore that from... You know what's ago. fun though about being a celebrity doing a podcast? Everyone will come on your podcast. Like everyone will talk to you. Yeah, imagine just calling up Greta Gerwig or calling up Charlie XCX. So many good people. But there's one episode I particularly enjoyed with Troy Sivan called The Power of Identity. Man of the moment. They're kind of friends. Like they've worked together before and they reflected on the fact that Dua opened for Troy's tour back in 2016. Oh my God. So relatively humble beginnings. And I just, I love both of them. They both seem so sweet and so fun. And there are people that I'm convinced that I would be friends with. And I think you, me, Troy and Dua would be the most fun, little, sweet, wonderful quartet. They're just so chic and lovely. I think a, a great night out, like a great like drinks with the girls. Yes. And maybe that's credit to their publicists, but credit where credit's due, babes. I love them. And in the episode, they discussed their rise as pop artists but also what actually makes them who they are as people beyond the albums and the tours and the very grand stages but it was a gorgeous listen i highly recommend especially if you are feeling the november novembering that's so cool okay i must i'll add it to my absolute pile of podcasts please do flipping vibe Mm. vogue has published the puffiest little puff piece this week about Jeff Bezos and his bride-to-be Lauren Sanchez. It's titled, Lauren Sanchez is looking to the future. And this was a ride. Like, if you've ever wanted to hear someone revere Jeff Bezos, like he's Jesus, give this a read. It was actually a profile on Lauren Sanchez, as in his fiance, and she's a media presenter. I think she's, she's a journalist. She's around those circuits they initially had an affair back in 2019 they both got divorces and are now engaged to each other and i assume the goal of this piece was to legitimize her as a social watch and as a celebrity in her own right but i had honestly never heard of her before and this piece was so glowing of jeff instead what's the point of this piece what are your thoughts it was like a joint piece. It was really interesting. I mean, firstly, it was written by one of my favorite writers for Vogue, Chloe Marl, who is actually the daughter of Candace Bergen, which I just love. And she hosts the run-through podcast with um, Trominati, another one of our favorites. So I was kind of like, Chloe, I want to love this piece because I love you. And obviously she doesn't choose like who she profiles. So I kind of, but then I was like, Anna, what are you doing, babes? Why is this? happening I I feel like it was interesting I felt like half of the piece I didn't really understand I've got to be honest there was just a lot of talk about helicopters and quoting all these random people 
who would just like the, I mean, obviously it's a puff piece and so many of these magazine pieces nowadays are just like, aren't they great? And so many people were just like, Lauren is amazing and Jeff is amazing. And I'm like, usually if I like the person, I'm on board. And I'm like, yeah, they are amazing. Like if I read a puff piece about you, because obviously you are amazing, I'd be like, yes, agree, agree, agree. Emily is queen, slay mama. But for this, I was like, this is not a slay. Like this is, why are we revering A, this woman, but B, this man? Like he's kind of like, I don't want to say like evil incarnate, but like he's pretty like up there. You know what I mean? He's not great. I feel like you can't really put a man on the cover and then just ignore all of the Amazon discourse from the past few years. Yeah. Especially because it's it's not old news. People are still talking about his hand and all of that. Yeah, like there's a reason why Prime is the only thing I won't pay for. I use my dad's, who he pays for it. But whatever. But Take that, Jeff. Exactly. But I I do think it was interesting that they are, like, as you say, trying to legitimize her. They're trying to, you know what it is? You know what it reminds me of? You know, in, this is really random, but you know when Legally Blonde, when Warner says to Elle, you're a Marilyn and I need a Jackie? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she's a Marilyn and they're trying to make her a Jackie. Yes. Do you know what I mean? But I don't think they can because she's not Jackie. And this whole piece, I thought that every sentence was either alluding to their wealth, like talking about their mm. yacht and their helicopter or oh God, their the yacht. Amazon empire or talking about how charitable they are, ignoring the Amazon impact. I found it really interesting. Like she, she clearly does a lot. Like she was a television presenter. She's got a, her pilot's license. She's trained to become a helicopter pilot. She um, has her own aerial production company, which is consulted on films like Dunkirk but some of the like stuff that it read like a kind of a satire like they describe Bezos's laugh as a signature machine gun laugh that made my full body clench when I read that and it's like the first sentence I can't imagine it you know what it made me think of you know Jimmy Carr the comedian I'm like yeah. is that what his laugh is like is it like that like maybe because in my head machine gun a machine gun laugh is super aggressive and I get kind of scared because to me Jeff yeah. Bezos is a villain he is a villain he's like dr evil but they also compared him to tony stark as in iron man and that's when i was like i hated that i hated that okay we are too big for our boots we need to sit down his evolution his evolution from online bookseller to tony stark titan of industry i'm like you know what tony stark did to be fair when like he started as iron man selling arms but then you know what he had a moral conundrum and stopped doing that do we really think that bezos is gonna have a moral conundrum and stop being evil no no I just, it was intense. And I love that. So Barry Diller and who's married to Diane von Furstenberg, who is one of Bezos's closest friends. They hosted the second engagement party for the couple. Um, Barry Diller was, who's like this gajillionaire who's, there are a lot of rumors about him and his life, personal life. And he said that Lauren is a sparkler in Jeff's life. She's lit him up in the nicest ways. She's a great stimulant, which just, I was like, if anyone describes me as a stimulant, you're done. Lauren also described Jeff at some point as a monster in the gym. And it was oh, just I know. so disgusting. So grossly glowing. So disgusting. And then there's like, did you read the bit where, the, where they're like, the phrase love you to space and back is a favorite saying of theirs? Yeah, I actually have no words for that. I just feel like it was a lot of like, yeah, legitimization and ignoring of like salient facts, but also, and also ignoring the fact that they, they called it a love affair. And I'm like, it's not a love affair. They got caught cheating. 
in the National Enquirer. It wasn't a fair affair. He got blackmailed. Like, he got blackmailed about it. Yeah, that, that it broke up his marriage. And so, then, yeah, the National Enquirer revealed that Bezos had an affair with Sanchez and it had lasted for months. They got together in the aftermath of his divorce. But I think that Bezos's ex-wife, Mackenzie, is fascinating. I want someone to do a fucking Vogue piece on her. She is so cool. I don't want to hear about Jeff Bezos's helicopters. No. I want to hear about M- Mackenzie giving all of her money to charity. She's given 17 nonprofits money just this year. The gifts have totaled $97 million and they range from $1 million to $15 million. Half of the charities focused on early childhood education and early childhood development. She's now given more than $14.1 billion away since 2020. Like... Pop off queen. She owns, so Bezos still has 75% of the couple's Amazon stock, but she has the remaining 25%, which is 35.6 billion American. She's like one of the richest women in the world. And she does no statements, no nothing. She doesn't even, um, now because she's giving a charity, she gives the charities the option if they want to reveal that it's her who's been donating. I say that I want to hear from her, but at the same time, I respect that's so much more than like this oh. piece so much of it was yeah. charity chat about exactly how much they've donated to exactly which causes which is perfect great whatever they, they're making a name for themselves as philanthropists and that is literally your duty as a billionaire i firmly believe yeah. that if you have that kind of money you are required to give back you do not need 100%. it all in what world do you need it all and at the same time like it it made it feel less sincere by saying mm here's all of the good that we're doing it was like half the article here's all of the wonderful things that we're doing just be publicly nice and don't underpay your workers the whole thing was actually unhinged I was like I couldn't I can't quite believe that it got commissioned and and all of it was that all these people were like yeah let's do it and that weird clock that they have in the desert which looked like something out of a Lara Croft film it looked like something out of a sort of sci-fi-esque film it was so bizarre. And to set the scene, the shoot was at their Texas property, which is a yeah. 400,000 acre ranch near the like Mexico border. There was a part that made me feel incredulous. Oh, go, 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 go. Jeff is making margaritas for Lauren and Chloe, who writes, I don't think we have salt. I was going to give you a salted rim, he says. It's a very important part of the margarita. Within minutes, an eight-ounce deli container of salt is magically supplied by one of the Astronaut Village team members. Wow, there's like a salt genie out there, marvels Bezos. Imagine that life. Imagine never having to go to Coles, ever. I read that too, and I was like, oh, you just think some person has salt for you? I'm like, some gopher has had to go out in the middle of, like, buttfuck nowhere and get that salt for you. Then they followed that up with the classic rich person thing to quote, our lives are pretty normal is how Sanchez puts it. Daily life mostly revolves around our kids. Then they pretend they're so normal because they drink coffee first thing in the morning, which Lauren drinks out of a mug that Jeff got on Amazon that has woke up sexy as hell again written on the side. I hate that. I saw that and I just deliberately ignored that sentence. Oh my God, you're so normal and so relatable. You're not normal, bitch. I can't. You're not normal. And for every one step forward of... We're just like you, plebs. They took two steps back of our lives are literally unimaginably wealthy. It's insane. And they and I didn't realize that she's got like four children. So she's she's like besties with her, one of her ex-husbands and his wife. But then um, she had two kids with the Endeavor executive chairman, Patrick Weitzel, who is married to PR something or other who's Australian. Patrick Weitzel was 
or is, I think he still is Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's agent. And I remember this specifically because in their Oscars speech, they do not too, when they're like, um, they're trying to remember who to thank. And then they're like, Patrick Weitzel, Patrick Weitzel, the best agent in Hollywood. And ever since then, every time I see Patrick Weitzel in an article, I'm like, Patrick Weitzel, the best agent in Hollywood. (laughs) But so I didn't realize that she had two children with him. But I also, I've been trying to work out why I think she is pro-Trump because I don't think she is. And I realized that I think she looks exactly like Kimberly Guilfoyle, who goes out with Donald Trump Jr. They look super similar. And I think for ages, I've thought they were the same person. I see it. And I've just realized that they're not. Like literally while recording this, I've just Googled Uh, that. That makes sense. They look really, really similar. So I think I'm sorry if you're not pro-Trump, Lauren Sanchez, but I thought you were. Speaking of how she looks, no hate to cosmetic procedures, Botox, fillers, whatever, which Jeff and Lauren are both clearly fans of, whatever, that's your choice. But at the end of the piece, they have the goal to say, does Sanchez have any secrets for aging gracefully? It's really simple. She cites the MEDS acronym, meditation, exercise, diet, and sleep, personally adding sunscreen to the end of it. Oh my God. Can you add a monthly injection onto that? My God. Shut up. Do what you want with your body, with your face. Go for it. But I hate the the classic thing of, I just get eight hours of sleep and I drink so much water. It's I work out. I'm like... Yeah, working out doesn't give you a chin like that, babe. The photo of the two of them, when they're like together, he's clearly had his like arm airbrushed or whatever, engorged, something there. (laughs) Buffed. Yeah, literally. I'm like, my guy. It looks like the cover of one of those tacky romance books that's on like the bottom shelf at big w they're like beach reads they're oh, kind of yeah. good you kind of want to read like them. a bodice a bodice ripper yes like one night on my ranch in texas or something exactly <laughs> with rich man jeff billionaire well billionaire romances are in and he's a billionaire but they had the most like deranged list for their engagement party at so at Diane von Furstenberg and Barry Diller's house. Just like the Barry Diller gives me the creeps. I don't know what it is. Every time I see him on a yacht, I'm like, what are you doing? Jeff Bezos, Barry Diller, and like whoever else, they freak me out. But so they had this engagement party at Barry and um, Diane's house. And Oprah, oh, it's Oprah. Oprah's the third person who I think is, um, <laughs> is a, I think she's secretly a terrible person. I think she's like Ellen. So Oprah was there. Salma Hayek Pino was there. Barbara Streisand, Chris Jenner, Corey Gamble. Like what is Corey Gamble doing there? He's a glorified plus one. <laughs> but also two other people who were there were, oh, Miranda was there with, um, what's this, this Snapchat guy, Evan Spiegel. The man has no personality, but also neither does she. He never smiles. No, he's got kind of a funny little face, doesn't he? He looks, she looks like a chipmunk and he kind of looks like another little chipmunk, don't, doesn't, doesn't he? He looks like he owns Snapchat. Do you, do you, can you imagine how mad he was when Kylie Jenner was like, Snapchat's over and then the stock plummeted? You don't own Snapchat, Kylie owns Snapchat. But anyway, sorry, they were all there. But also randomly, Robert Pattinson and Suki Waterhouse were there. What are they, what, who was having that conversation? Like, who is talking, like, what is Robert Pattinson talking to Jeff Bezos about? Yeah, what, what what's that look like? Because in my head, Suki Waterhouse and Robert Pattinson, I can literally see them just sitting in, like, a house, a normal house, oh, yeah. doing normal house things, talking about what dinner they're going to order. And I, I know they're both very rich, and I know they're both cool, and I've put them on a pedestal, 
but, but they're like normal coded. Jeff Bezos. They're normal coded. Yeah, they both seem like they'd poke fun at billionaires, but totally. They're also going to their engagement party. Yeah, but before we get into, because there is Robert, Robert and Suki news, but before we get into that, final thoughts on the Bezos Sanchez piece. I think they tried to make them appear both normal and aspirational at once, and I think it backfired. I think it's a dumb decision by Vogue. I don't think that they should have run with that piece. I don't think it serves a purpose, especially amongst young readers. Like It feels like they've just kind of alienated anyone under the age of 30 in a time when we are mentally standing against billionaires because we just don't understand why they exist, but we do understand that you cannot ethically be a billionaire. Jeff Bezos, of all people, has not gotten there ethically. So I just think it's such a bizarre piece. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think they've tried to make it relatable, realized halfway through you can't make it relatable and then leaned in. And I think as you say, like, yeah, anyone under the age of 30, I think has a real or will have a real issue with this piece. But that that demographic is the future of magazines and the future of, you know, institutions like Vogue. And if you're alienating those people, it's not ideal. And I, I wonder what the younger staff at Vogue think. Like, I wonder yeah. what I wonder what our friend Jose... Corrales and Zweda thinks what does he think about this what are other people like what does Irene Kim think about this what does Liana Satenstein doesn't work at Vogue no long, anymore but like what do they all think about this like I'm intrigued what are the conversations in those offices I I know that they report on people who are famous for being famous and famous for being wealthy all the time but there's different because being famous for being famous isn't unethical <laughs> it's just like whatever being famous for founding one of the most infamously unethical companies is a bit questionable maybe maybe we don't put him on the cover of and i wonder if like anna was pressured is it like is there like advertising stuff at play here is are they close with people who are big in conde nast because they're all it's all kind of i feel like if you're a billionaire you know all of those people I'm like, I wonder if that was a conversation, but then I'm also like, Anna doesn't seem to be the kind of person who could be pressured, but we don't, we don't know. Like money does talk in magazines, but it, it feels a bit naff for me to say, well, obviously he paid for a profile of his bride. Like that seems ridiculous. Yeah. But I just don't understand what the other motivation would have been. What's the goal? Yeah. I think it's definitely like a legitimization, a kissing of the ring, if you will, but yeah. I didn't need it, to be honest. I really didn't need it this week. <laughs> but I did need this news, which made my little heart sing this afternoon. Suki Waterhouse, actress, singer, all-round beautiful woman and icon, has – well, she's announced her pregnancy. It's, there's no alleged about it. Babe's got a bump. <laughs> um, she announced on stage at the Corona Capital Festival in Mexico – she said, I thought I'd wear something sparkly today. She wears like, she's kind of wearing like a mini sparkly dress. She says, I thought I'd wear something sparkly today because I thought it might distract you from something else I've got going on. And then she opened her jacket and like gestured to her stomach. And then she said, I'm not sure if it's working. With a, yeah, she's got a bum, so she's pregnant. That's such a nice way to announce it as well. I think it's just casual. She's doing what she does. I wondered, did you see, because there were paparazzi photos recently and she looked prego and I, or, but I was like, is it just the way her jacket 
is falling. Like, you know, when you put a jacket on sometimes and the zip goes weird, I thought it was a zip moment. And I hate doing that. I hate looking at female celebrities and immediately going, oh my God, are they pregnant? It's so annoying. Oh no, I do it. I did it. I felt so bad, I, but I fucked up. I did it at the Met Gala when I saw Carly Kloss. I was like, she looks so pregnant. And then I was like, God, am I just like a terrible person? Like, cause just cause I'm so used to seeing her being stick thin and then she actually was pregnant. So I gave myself a pass for that one. Same with Rihanna when she announced her second pregnancy fairly oh, yeah. soon. And my immediate thought was, no, 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 she's not pregnant. Don't think like that. That's so silly. And then she was. Yeah, I think we get, yeah, I'm like, no, she just had a burrito or something. It's fine. Yeah. But it's so exciting. And they've been together since about 2018. But um, Suki cancelled her appearance in Australia. for She was supposed to play in Laneway in 2024 due to personal reasons. So me thinks that might be due to the baby and it also makes me really glad that I didn't get tickets because I was so salty that she wasn't doing a sideshow yeah so I was like gonna go and then now I'm like thank god I didn't do that yeah they've been together since like 2018 but they only debuted on the red carpet at the Met Gala this year so they've been notoriously quiet on the like couple front you just see them being candid and she's having a really like good time of it she was in Daisy Jones and the Six earlier this year. Did you watch that? I did. I loved it. I feel like the song um, Honeycomb is going to be on my, the top of my Spotify rap this year. Oh, uh, there is a real chance of that happening. I I yeah. wanted them to tour. Imagine if they toured. Me too! I would have been front and center of that mosh had they toured. 1,000%. Even if they still do tour, I'll go. But I feel like, yeah, she's been having a great year. I've loved her since she used to date um, Miles Kane who was Alex Turner's um, best friend. And yeah, thank you. Yeah. Last Shadow Puppets. Emily's just done, Emily's just done like a love heart, you know, on our FaceTime. But and she's she was looking a lot rounder in the face back then. So I'm wondering, anyway, not to like comment on people's buckle fat, but they dated and I've always thought she was so cute. And then she was photographed with Bradley Cooper in those cursed images. Um, that was weird. And she was also in one of the greatest rom-coms of our time, um, Love, Rosie amazing she's truly have so you seen special. love you've seen love yeah i have seen love rosie and i made my boyfriend watch it last week because i think it's just a classic <gasps> but also there was, what did he think he loved it there was a tiktok of paul meskel watching oh a movie my God, and i crying, wanted to send it to you and it was love rosie i think it's one of the best rom-coms but she's in it and she's terrible she's not a good actress this is like not in her this was when she was transitioning from model to actress she was also really young she was so little she was not good in it I, I like cry in that movie every time. Anyway, this is not a Love Rosie deep dive, but just if you want to watch something amazing and fantastic and beautiful and just the union of two souls over time, two people who are meant for each other and everyone's hot because it's um, Sam Claflin and Lily Collins, two of the most attractive people of our time. Watch it. I think it's on Netflix or Stan or something. Binge. Binge. There you go. Emily's got the goods. Onto a story that boggles the mind. Alice McCall has teamed up with Sheehan on a new collection. Is it Sheehan or Sheen? I never know. I say Sheehan. I don't know anything. No, that's fair. I'll say Sheehan too. It sounds kind of cool better than Sheen. I've heard some people say Shine. I think that's wrong. I won't entertain that. Shine, shine, shine. A little history, a little context for the unacquainted. Alice McCall was a huge Australian brand. It launched way back in 2004 and rose to fame quite quickly, became one of those celebrity coveted brands back when that meant a lot. She was huge. 
and very successful. They went into voluntary administration in November 2020, COVID things, they closed all but three of their stores. They had a slight resurgence about six months later in 2021 after they presented at Fashion Week. And then earlier this year, she announced that the brand would be closing for good. Now that brand, dresses were around $400 to $600. It was mid-range. It was creative. It was original. It was one of our finest exports. I liked it. I thought Alice McCall was fun. Felt whimsical. My 21st dress was from Alice McCall. Was it? Wouldn't wear it now. Aww. Their last runway show was really, really cool. It looked like they were going to be one of those it girl brands Mm. moving forward. And now they're a shit girl brand. Now things aren't good. They have partnered Mm. with one of the world's worst clothing manufacturers. For a little rant, Shein is as unsustainable as it gets. They use incredibly cheap fabrics and just churn out thousands of products a day, creating huge amounts of greenhouse gases. They literally exist just to encourage us to spend more money and buy more clothes, which is not environmentally ethical. Thousands of people are exploited by Shein. Garments are made in sweatshops in completely unsafe conditions without so much as windows or emergency exits. Most workers don't have contracts. They're lucky to receive minimum wage, which is reportedly deducted if any garments have mistakes. It's truly an awful business. The clothing is cheap. It's not designed to last. So you have to come back and buy more later. I feel like lots of people assume that buying sustainably means that you're spending money on expensive brands. It doesn't. It means you're buying things that are going to last you a really long time. If you can buy from a 100% ethical brand, sure, go for it. Wonderful. But you're not buying something that is literally going to disintegrate because it's made from the cheapest polyester they could find. Yeah, just like what? It's, it's like modern slavery. It's modern slavery. Simplest definition for it. It is an awful business. It's insane. I'm looking on the website now. It's like seven. There's like shirts for $7. You cannot sell a $7 shirt without exploiting people and the planet or a $4 rib knit top $10 oh it's it's actually mental so that's what we've got and ridiculous Alice McCall made the announcement on Monday and turned off their comments on Instagram very shortly after that's when you know you're being bad is when you turn off comments no feedback thank you turned off and Sheehan also had to turn off their comments no one is safe not even Sheehan and people were just talking about how shocked and embarrassed they were. People were in older posts on their page that didn't have comments off. People were calling it a cash grab, which is exactly what it is. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just a last ditch effort to generate revenue through the brand. I don't see any benefit aligning with, I wouldn't even call she in a brand. I would call it a company. I don't see any benefit Mm. aligning with a company that has such a dodgy reputation when you were really well respected in Australian fashion. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if this is a road comparison. It reminds me of when Ellen DeGeneres was spotted hanging out with George Bush. Oh my God. No, I know what you mean. And everyone, that was back in 2019 when everyone still saw her as that like happy, lovely, kind, compassionate person. And everyone was like, why are you hanging out with a war criminal? Yeah. And she had to come out and defend that friendship. But it's, you have this image of who Ellen was and who Alice McCall was in your head and then they throw it back in your face and you're like oh and they're like aligning themselves with Darth Vader yeah and they like they obviously knew things weren't going to be great because the announcement post was immediately defensive like they tried to get ahead of the inevitable 
comments saying, I have always resonated with the idea that my designs can become attainable to a wider audience. And this collaboration has enabled Mm. me to turn that vision into a reality. First, that completely goes against your original business where a $600 dress was made in similar factory situations, but you could mark it up because people were none the wiser and you had brand reputation. Now we know that a cheap item costs something or someone somewhere and people are rightfully yeah. confused. She's an odd one though. I think she's a little bit amiss. And like she said that she went to Sheen's operations like um, in China spending time at the office and factories and she was like I had the same amount of exposure as I did from working in my own business with the factories in China they were just as good as the factories I had worked with historically through my own business and I'm like babe I really don't think so Mm -mm. I really don't believe that but she she said that she can only talk to her own experience and what she saw was a very efficient business model she's a designer in her own integrity writing a narrative with Shein and she also responded to the backlash saying everyone has a right to express their views. I'm just very much focused on the launch of this collection, which I truly believe in. And she commented uh, on Instagram, which has now been deleted, saying she did her due diligence before collaborating with Shein, saying ensuring my garments have been made ethically is important to me, which is why I did my due diligence before entering into this partnership. It just like doesn't ring true. And or even like, I like the theory of it if it was with another, like if it wasn't with Shein, I'm like, making a brand more accessible to everyday people fantastico and like even the description of it sounds great if you just take out the sheen part it's the collaboration will feature mccall's signature romantic style albeit at much lower prices the press release teasing the collaboration describes it as pop pastels floral prints evocative of an english garden a nod to 70s italian lingerie Art Nouveau-inspired lyrics, jacquard pieces, sequined mini dresses, toile de jour prints, and Marie Antoinette-inspired ruffled off-the-shoulder mini dresses. I'm like, to me, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, the words sound good. But then once you put it together with being like, oh, it's with like the Darth Vader of the fashion world, thousands of people are getting exploited and you are not taking on any criticism or just like not even recognizing that it's kind of a bad idea. Like, who's advising you? And also- What the hell? You're- Business has closed. Yeah. No one asked you to do this. Like, it feels like rock bottom. No. I I would be so ashamed as a designer to brazenly align myself. Not just myself, but a previously very well-respected brand. It's not like Alice McCall was trashy. It wasn't rubbish. No. But she's put it on that level now that she's collaborating with Shein. Like, it's just a really misguided decision. It's like the um, Naomi Campbell pretty little thing thing and the Courtney Kardashian boohoo it's the same thing I don't get it Alice McCall is also allegedly a bit of a character she was Mm. reportedly a voice in the anti-vax movement during COVID she's from Byron pretty standard but in 2022 she posted on Instagram a theory that a conspiracy theory that the government was controlling the weather oh cool 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 yeah As you do. As you do. She included a screenshot of a flight radar where there was one plane that was flying back and forth over like the Northern Rivers area, Byron, Lismore, that sort of thing. Mm. But that was actually during the really bad floods that hit that region. I was about to say, was it was it the floods? It was the floods. So these not to like sorry, not to laugh when I say the word floods, but I'm like, did she just think that a plane flying back and forth is insane when there's floods going on? So she thought that they were dropping chemicals over us all, and the 
Oh, you're kidding. The plane was actually out um, taking photos and assessing damage-affected areas, which is really standard practice during natural disasters. And the company that operated that flight received hundreds of threats, even threats to specific pilots. And they had to come out and say that they did not, in fact, seed clouds. She also allegedly claimed that the government has developed a quote-unquote climate bomb. A what? A climate bomb. And did she say that like on the internet? She said that on the internet recently in the past two years. So... Wow. No wonder her brand shuttered. Crikey. I think we expected too much from Alice McCall, Mm. but I also think that we forget that expensive brands and brands that have been around for a while don't necessarily have better ethics. And I think that's where most of us are confused because if your expertise and your money weren't going towards quality production and minimizing your impact before, what were we paying for? And now we see what we're paying for which is unethical clothing production. And that's it. We're not paying for those stories anymore. Well, she and she also owes a million dollars to creditors. Did you read that? Mm. I reckon this is a way of paying her back. We're getting, getting the moolah. It's a really disappointing downfall, I think, of a, what was a very cool brand. Yeah, it's really tainted it. Not that I own anything else, McCall, or like anything like that, but like a legacy Australian brand where it's really difficult to make a name for yourself and a reputation. And she was like, everyone knew the name and, and now she's, she could have faded off nicely into obscurity and, you know, done something else. It didn't, she didn't have to continue in fashion. She could have branched out. She could have done something else, whatever. And she's chosen to go down this kind of path of sort of no return, really. And we didn't previously have such a bad taste in our mouths and now we do. No. And it's like, how can you, come back and be taken seriously as a designer once you've collaborated with people who were actively avoided by the wider like fashion community exactly and community generally it's like people just know not to shop there like it's the fastest of fast fashion it's the bullet train of fashion and they're basically at any given time there is a lawsuit involving Shein and involving unethical labor practices so we're not just talking about oh but they're using manufacturing practices that contribute to global warming no they are Mm. harming people literal people yeah nah it's fucked so anyways i need to come back to the fact that you hadn't watched the crown before oh yeah oh my god yeah moving on from moving on from alice mccall being not the best person in the world yeah moving on to my big debrief of the week the crown has is back season six part one and I watched my first season of The Crown, this season of The Crown. Uh, yeah, I've never watched it before. I had just assumed, because I see you as like a royal girly, you know what's going on. I'm a royal girly, 100%. And you're also a TV girly. Yeah. Oh, it basically coalesces all of my interests of television, royals, history, hot people, um, and like every English actor ever. And like great cinematography and wonderful people. And I just never got into it. And it's kind of like wanky because I just felt like I knew everything about the royal family. So when I started watching it, I was like, well, this is boring. I know this. I know what happened here. And I just felt like there were no... And I find this with some sometimes with true stories that I know quite well. If, if it's not a differently trodden path, I'm like... 
I know the stakes. When I started watching the first season and it was like King George coughing, I was like, well, he's going to die in five minutes and and Lizzie's going to become queen, isn't she? And then this is going to happen and then da-da-da-da. And I just, I felt like I couldn't connect to it because I just knew what was going to happen, which seems kind of terrible. But, and all my friends were like, well, I didn't know about this and I didn't know about that. And I'm like, well, I sort of knew all of this. Like the only thing... I didn't know from the first few seasons was the story of um, Prince Philip's mother, Alice, which was like, you know, the when she comes and she was like the nun who um, was super poor and she had all um, like really horrible mental health problems because she got put in a sanitarium, which was horrifying. That was the only thing I didn't know in the early seasons, but everything else, like everyone was like, I can't believe that Princess Margaret nearly married that guy. And I'm like, can't you? Like, didn't you know that? I don't know how I knew that, like just by osmosis of like my life I just read a lot and read a lot of Wikipedia I don't really know but I I decided now we're getting into primo Charles and Diana we're getting into 1997 I decided I'm gonna do it and I also felt like because we're doing this podcast I needed to culturally be a part of the conversation and it was like a four-hour exercise in stress and dread from the opening scene to the last scene it was pretty uncomfortable viewing it's basically the series opens with a man walking his dog in Paris and you immediately know why you're in Paris and you immediately know what's about to happen and you see the car go through the tunnel and then it flashes back to eight weeks earlier so it's the final eight weeks of Diana's life and if this is a spoiler to you I admire you and I would like to know that kind of peace in my life I was about to say no spoiler alerts because it's history and this is why I don't watch The Crown because it can't be spoiled because it all happened okay and so it was I found it really really stressful I watched it all in one night probably shouldn't have done that um I thought really great my note here is great performances but just what a shit time uh, which is basically how I felt about it. I thought Dominic West felt felt quite miscast as Charles. He does the job well enough. He he's very good at playing a wounded aristocrat who's done the wrong thing. Yeah. What is it? Life imitates art. Yeah, li- yeah, art imitating life. Because he also, I I can't even say it's alleged. That, like we know what happened. He had an affair with Lily James. There were photos in the Daily Mail. He then had to go back to his wife and take part in the cringiest photo shoot of all time to be like we're back together all's good and you just know that his wife is like you are the worst person in the world anyway but he plays Charles which felt I felt like that was quite on the nose casting to be honest after that whole scandal but I feel like he's very good at playing guys who've had affairs in being in the show called The Affair Elizabeth Debicki fantastic as Diana obviously her like craning her neck with her eyes kind of you know, looking sad does get old after a while. I was worried that she strained something. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> episodes one to four, yeah, cover eight, last eight weeks of Diana's life. There's not a huge amount for the Queen and Prince Philip to do here. It's basically all just Diana. And I felt like that was like fine. I, I just felt like it was quite slow. And what I've, I've spoken to people and they've said it, they also felt like it went quite slow. But it was a lot about Muhammad Al-Fayed and Dodi Al-Fayed. So Dodi and Diana were involved at the time of their deaths he died in the car next to her his father Muhammad Al-Fayed owned uh Harrods and was a really um like huge huge gajillionaire um but people have not had too many good things to say the Guardian said so bad it's basically an out-of-body experience the BBC called it clumsy and predictable and the Sydney Morning Herald said the show delves too deeply into the media-worn story of Charles and Diana 
pushing even the Queen and Princess Margaret into the role of bit players. They also go a lot into casting Muhammad Al-Fayed as sort of this matchmaker and sort of Machiavellian figure, which I found super interesting. Um, And there were a lot of kind of references to Diana because she lost her HRH title after she divorced Charles. The Queen's like, well, she can't be half in and half out. And just hearing the phrase half in and half out, I was like, oh, Meghan and Harry. And it made me think of that. There was there was this really sweet bit. There was a whole thing about um, Camilla's 50th birthday and they had a really nice little party for her. And Charles quoted Jane Austen about her. And it was this, anyway, it just it was a really nice moment. But it was, I felt like the main thrust of the season is Diana kind of manipulating and being manipulated and particularly an interesting take on Dodie and his father because they basically paint Dodie as this spineless sort of man who'll do anything to please his father a bit of a puppet basically a puppet yeah and sort of a bit of a doormat so he's engaged to this woman this this all happened like he's engaged to this woman called kelly fisher who um muhammad called her like a hooker and was like oh yeah the you know skanky bikini model from america they're engaged muhammad invites harry william and diana onto his yacht in um saint-tropez and he, they go and then he calls Muhammad and is like, get on the boat. Diana's here. And this, and in The Crown, it's basically he sees Diana as his way in to become a legitimate businessman in England. He's like, Dodie, you need to come here. Like, I'm serving her up to you. You need to come and like make her yours so that I can get my citizenship because it was this whole thing that he was continually kept being denied British citizenship and he really wanted to be accepted by the British establishment and he just wasn't that wasn't happening and he was like Diana is a way to legitimize me and my business and my family and my life and Dodie just doesn't have the balls to say no so he just abandons his fiance and lies and said he's got says he's got all this work to do and goes on the boat and but it's really interesting they basically paint this picture that particularly before the crash before the her final hours is that Diana attempts to take charge of her life, but all of these attempts were thwarted by a greedy businessman, his ineffectual son, and the merciless paparazzi. And that's a quote from one of the articles I read. And it's really intense, but it was, yeah, it was a really hard watch. I found it a really hard watch. Obviously, they cover the death. Like, I feel like that's just not a spoiler. I just, it has to be said. It's done, I wouldn't say tastefully, but you don't see the crash I feel I don't know how much kind of detail to give here but it's it's really sad obviously and this sort of you know the the time of Diana's death we've seen that in obviously in real life but also in the uh film that Peter Morgan who created the crown also wrote the queen with um Helen Mirren and the kind of effects of Diana's death on the royal family and the country and the world so it was sort of interesting to see this same take but slightly different and you know what the queen wanted to do versus what everyone else wanted her to do and they did kind of try to make out Charles to be the bit of the hero like I failed her in life I'm not going to fail her in death because the queen doesn't want to give her a public funeral and Charles is like we have to give her a public funeral and and um the queen's just like no this is a Spencer family problem now she's not a member of the royal family meanwhile Muhammad Al-Fayed is like my son is dead I'm going to send a letter of mourning to the royal family and the Spencer family. We are, I'm their brother in mourning and he doesn't get anything back from me, the family. So he's just on the outs, basically. 
Um, and But he said that the whole crash was a conspiracy and it was all orchestrated by Prince Philip. I read this really interesting article by Dominic Dunn, who I referenced here before, for Vanity Fair. He went to London in 2008 for the inquest into Dodie and Diana's death. And he said that a key part of Muhammad's case was that the couple were about to get engaged, the princess was pregnant, and they were murdered by British Secret Service agents on the instructions of the Duke of Edinburgh to prevent their marriage. Al-Fayed claimed that Prince Philip was a Nazi racist and called him Frankenstein. He also claimed that Prince Charles had conspired with his father and his Dracula family, in quotes, to murder Diana so that he could marry Camilla Parker Bowles. He called the deaths slaughter, not murder. And he just goes on and says basically that everybody was involved and then he also said on the stand Al-Fayed ungraciously described his son's former fiance Kelly Fisher as a hooker and gold digger um but Dominic Dunn actually interestingly says this the more I hear and read and think about Diana and Dodie's deaths in the Pont d'Alma tunnel in Paris on August 31st 1977 in what is possibly the world's most famous car crash, the more I doubt the truth of their great romance. If it was like anything at all, it was a flirt, a fling, just one of those things, as Cole Porter once wrote. Like the conspiracy theory surrounding their deaths, their romance too was orchestrated by Muhammad Al-Fayed. Oof. That's sort of what the, the Crown posits, that it was all done It was all done by Muhammad, and they only knew each other for a few weeks before they died. So he's he's like, it was this grand romance, they were engaged... She was pregnant. It's like, no, like what? And then, I don't know, it was a really rough four hours and it was just really sad, to be honest. And they also made some really interesting creative choices that I won't go into because I do feel like that is a spoiler. But they do do something with Diana at the end that I felt was in poor taste. But the next, I think, six episodes drop in December and that will be the start of the William and Kate era which I am also excited for yeah have you watched the crown yes okay what are your what's your take on it I've watched all seasons I'm not super into the royals I just watched it because I was interested and I had a bit of FOMO because everyone else had seen it I think that this season is less artistic and maybe maybe less indie seeming for lack of a better word I think the other seasons have come across as more of a cinematic watch Whereas this season was, the events have happened, we have lookalikes, and you were watching a replay. There was no kind of... It felt more like a recreation. Yeah, no creative license about it. It wasn't a beautiful watch or anything, which was a bit of a letdown. And I think they obviously tried to set the scene with music, but hearing Smash Mouth and looking at Princess Diana was such a jarring thing as someone who was not alive then. Hearing Chumbawamba play... Threw me was out the hearing window. tub t- hearing tub thumping was horrifying. It was such a bizarre soundtrack. So that yeah, odd. And I know the creative decisions that Cosie's talking about in that she doesn't want to spoil. And I have been going back and forth about that because I think it's weird. But then I go, yeah. oh, maybe they were trying to do this. Maybe they were trying to do that. Just watch. I it. think I get what they were trying to do, but I don't think. It- I just don't know about it. It was nice to like, but I felt like it was, it gave the characters closure. It gave one particular character, I think, closure, but it like, was it necessary? No. It just felt like a bit indulgent. No. But in terms of acting performances, I think Elizabeth Debicki was incredible. She Oh, she was amazing. Does an incredible Diana. They also made her look less insanely tall this season last season she was maybe a little bit too tall 
for Diana. They didn't contrast her as well. And she's like 190 centimeters. That is she a is long woman. Insane. She is. I think she's one of those elegant looking women on film, like acting these days. She's just so her posture, like her whole thing. She screams like kind of Grace Kelly vibes. Very graceful, very svelte. And they they did a better job this season to make her and Dominic West look like similar heights. So yeah, that yeah. was probably the one area that they improved on from last season. Otherwise, not impressed. When, you, when you've watched The Crown until now, I had higher expectations. On Elizabeth Debicki, actually, sorry, this is a side tangent that I want to talk about. Has mm. she evaded our possessiveness of Australian actors? I think so. And I'm glad for it. I think she hasn't. Yeah. She hasn't become an our Elizabeth, like an our Kate. Yeah. An our I feel like, cause she hasn't, while she's mainstream, she's to me, she's still quite, I don't know if indie is the right word, but she's not had a lead in a film. I don't think like a, a Barbie screen film or a gladiator. No, like she was in, like she was in Guardians of the Galaxy, but as, as a supporting player, she's been in lead in TV shows. Nothing huge. Oh, I mean, I think she's been in amazing, fantastic, beautiful, gorgeous TV shows that she's been amazing in, but it hasn't gotten her like that level, which I think is quite good. I feel like it's good that she's gone under the radar. I also thought that um, Imelda Staunton as Queen Elizabeth was a standout. I, I think she's just... She doesn't need me to sing her praises. She's an incredible, <laughs> highly acclaimed actor. But not not hugely impressed by this season. I will keep watching because I do want to see the early days of Kate and Will. And I do want to see how they portray them. Because obviously these people are still alive. These people are gearing up to become the next king and queen. Very realistically. So I'm, I'm scared. Yeah, I want to see how they dodge the firm by producing this recent season. I because they're ending it in two thousand and five, so I'm trying to work out where they're ending it. If are they going to end it at Charles and Camilla's wedding? Because that was in two thousand and five. Are they going to end it? That's I think where I'm theorizing it's going to end because they don't. Kate and William don't get married till twenty eleven. I've just done a quick Google. They graduated from uni in 2005. Maybe because that's still a, a chapter closed. That was them being students mm. and they were on and off Maybe. during that time period. Whereas, but when he becomes a fully working full-time royal. Member of the family. They don't want yeah. to touch that. I reckon. I reckon it's too close to the bone for them. Also because once you get into marriage territory, They'll have to talk about the Rose allegations. Oh, yeah. They can't talk about their marriage without talking about Rose Hanbury. That's why they've got to wait 20 years to do Meghan and Harry and William and Kate. I also just think that, and this is a different, this is a thought for a different day, but I really like Charles. I am pro Charles. And I know that's a big controversial statement. Uh, We're going to talk about it. What? <laughs> I, love, I really like Charles. I think he's a slime ball. I don't agree. Advocate for Charles for me. To me. 
I will. I will. I've advocated before. I think I've had this conversation with so many people. I think, okay, first of all, born into an emotionally stunted, like emotionally constipated family. He can't marry who he wants to marry, Camilla. She's not a virgin. She's already with this other guy. What's his face? Parker Bowles. Really sad for him. Really loves her. Always loves her. Stays constant the rest of his life. Has to marry Diana, young, virgin. Will do whatever he wants. She's in love with him. Terrible situation for her. She's led to like a lamb to slaughter to join this family with no context. He's very cold. I'm not excusing any of his behavior. I just happen to think that it's a tragedy that this guy couldn't marry who he wanted. So he had to marry someone else living with this unhappiness. I'm like, Diana was not the only unhappy person in this marriage. And I think he was trying to just grab a bit of happiness where he could. Like, obviously I'm not excusing cheating. I'm not excusing any of the stuff that he did, but I just happen to think that he just loved this person who he couldn't be with. I, I think it's a real, like I'm, dead being dead serious I think it's a real tragedy and I think that it's also a tragedy what happened to Diana she was not prepared no one gave her any information the royal family are obviously fucked they just were like well you can just go and do this and we don't talk about anything and there's you know just do your thing just have the baby have the air have the spare you're done don't be in the spotlight do whatever and he obviously wasn't helpful in any sense because he was just so unhappy and all he wanted to do was to be with Camilla and he couldn't be with her so of course he was just wanting to have an affair with her and then Diana of course had her affairs and did the thing too but I just feel really sad for him I and I feel really sad for her I feel sad for both of them but I just think I can feel sad for both of them and I can feel happy that he finally got to marry Camilla after like 40 years of loving her from afar and that's my spiel. And also he loves the environment and is um, very into sustainable farming. And yeah. I think you're a very empathetic person. <laughs> Thank you. I think I, I'm, I feel too much. <laughs> I do you feel that? I just think it's really sad that he was just this guy who was born into this family and he couldn't be with the person he loved. And he had to be with this other person who he didn't love, who he also treated like shit. I'm not saying that he didn't do any of that. Like the whole whatever love is and all that crap but also kind of this is also controversial I'm sick of everyone just acting like Diana was just like this like limp doll who did whatever I'm like she also had her agenda she was also a fully formed person who had her own thing she he manipulated she manipulated they both did things it mainly just boils down to it's rotten lucky couldn't be with Camilla none of that excuses any of his behavior or any of the decisions made uh but I just think, again, like history would be different if they yeah. together. Speaking about other British men who we like, can you Harry please run us through Harry Styles news? Yeah, this is one that I actually don't like him anymore. Ha- Charles is in, Harry's out. So Harry Styles has cut all his hair off, which has been sort of dividing the internet a little bit. So this we got a glimpse of this when he was at a U2 concert with his girlfriend, Taylor Russell. We love Taylor Russell. We stand Taylor Russell in this house. So yeah, he chopped all his hair off and the internet was very confused. And then he officially debuted his shaved head while a London launch party celebrating his brand, Pleasing's new fragrances. And the photo was debuted on Vogue magazine's Instagram and Pleasing's Instagram as well. And people were very confused and shocked and I don't really like it personally. I don't really like a buzz cut generally. It doesn't really matter who it's on, if it's on Harry Styles or if it's on like anyone really. I just don't, I personally just don't really like the style. So I don't love this. And I think it's interesting that 
he has done this, that he's shaved off like his most recognizable feature. Yeah. The it's, one that made him famous. It's newsworthy because he's always been known for his mop of hair that all of the girls swoon over. It's like, yeah, the curls get the, what curls get the girls. I think the Beatles bowl cuts in the 60s. Yeah. It's Huge. an iconic haircut and he's buzzed it all off. So it is, it is newsworthy. Yeah. It's a big deal. Trust oh, us. Oh, 100%. And I think, yeah, I think it's a big deal. And there's also a lot of uh, theories that he's actually bald and that he's been wearing a wig or a kind of a hairpiece or toupee or whatever you want to call it for a while. I've been sent quite a few TikToks by my friends about this. And to be fair, like his hairline has changed quite a bit over the years if you look at photos of his hairline from like 2013 to now so it is interesting to actually look I don't know if he's bald or not either way he doesn't have any hair anymore I can't imagine him wearing a toupee because he throws his head around I feel like it would have come out we would we would have known if it had been a thing but he debuted the his shaved head at this fragrance party because he now has a fragrance because every celebrity in life has to have a fragrance and there's three scents uh oh no four I'm sorry bright hot closeness and rivulets which are like the thirstiest I don't know they're very thirsty though they're very like sexual I find this so funny because people assume that Harry Styles is genuine because his shows are based around interacting with the audience so you think you know him you think you see him but then this feels like the most disingenuous thing just going here's a fragrance harry styles probably hasn't even smelt yeah what it is his nail polishes were yeah. pleasing he's probably ne- never seen them on a nail but he's just so happy to put his name behind it the nail polishes was so crap though it's such the a nail funny polishes decision. Were shit house. yeah they were like these weird pastels they felt very weird i feel like the whole thing is kind of odd like I would have thought if anything he'd do clothing, which I think he has done in the past with pleasing, but like it, it's just like sweatshirts and stuff. Like it's not anything proper. I would have thought he would Merch. have done like a line. Like he would have done what Kylie did with Kai. Yeah. He would have done a Harry thing. Like he did something like that with Gucci. He did a Gucci t-shirt a few years ago because I remember I really wanted to buy it, but I didn't um, obviously because it was ridiculous. But I would have thought he would have done like a capsule with Gucci or something. And he's done this and it just feels a bit weird. It feels like he's trying to rebrand the hair. This whole thing, is he rebranding? What's he doing? Yeah, it, because he's he's finished touring. He's moving mm. on to something a little bit different. Is there an album in the works? We don't know. This is kind of the most private really time, time that he's had in a long time. Some people speculated that he shaved his head because he's getting hair plugs. Oh, really? Like a transplant. He's off, he's off to Turkey for a little trip. Yeah, so we'll see if he any paps are in Turkey. Let us know. I honestly think the fragrance is him making money while he's not putting out. Oh music. yeah, the fragrance is mid, and then we'll get another album later. Yeah, we'll get another album later, yeah. and the cycle will continue. I don't think there is anything real to talk about. With I, I want to believe otherwise because he seems like someone who could do something really cool, but it's just a fragrance and it's, yeah. But, okay, most important question of the episode, though, do you think Harry's bald? Secretly bald? No, I don't think so. I think he's going bald. He's almost 30. and 
No, he's not 30 because he's only like, I calculated it's particularly how old he is, older than me. He's almost 30, isn't he? He's 20. Oh God, he's 29. Yeah, I think I think he's going bald. I think he's just at that age. I have been noticing that in men who I like went to school with and stuff uh, at that point where you see them and you go, oh, we've got a couple more centimeters of forehead going oh, on yeah. here. I don't want to. I don't want to say it, but a few of my friends have that too, but... Lots of them do the buzz cut. It's like a ride of Yeah, I agree. And it's very Sinead And if you do it as a girl, it's very Sinead O'Connor. Exactly. And I think Harry Styles, he wasn't going to do it while he was touring because his hair is his Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't have done it. And now he's gone. It's safe. I agree. It's safe. New chapter. And I also think that hairstyle changes have been really significant for him in his career. Like when One Direction was finished and then when he did Dunkirk and he sh- and he cut his hair off. And I remember I got the magazine, I think it was Another Man. I still have it actually. And it was a, a big photo spread when it was when he had the really long, like angelic hair. And he had it really long and he did half the photo shoot with the long hair. And then there was a photo of him cutting his hair and it was a recreation of the Mick Jagger photo from the 60s and I remember seeing it and I was like my mind is blown like he's got shorter hair it's not the same hair from One Direction I I don't know what to do with myself here and that was the start of his I'm finishing as One Direction I'm I'm moving on upwards in the world in the stratosphere and that was when he got Dunkirk which oh and it just makes me think he really should have stayed a supporting player for way longer than he was because he really did the movie start thing way too prematurely Uh, and I feel like we've all moved on from that way too quickly because that was a real crap time going from Dunkirk, which was he was great in, to um, what was it? Don't Worry Darling. And then to My Policeman, which I never saw. But yeah, no. Anyway. Um, but that is Harry Styles' hair for this week. We hope he goes well with the purported hair plugs slash potential trip to Turkey. But that's all for this week. Episode 10. Episode 10, done and dusted. Next week and the week after, we will be doing something a little bit different. Um, We will be doing two deep dive episodes uh, into two of our favorite things. As we say, it will not be a episode structured like we normally do. It will not be pop culture news. It will be a deep dive into one specific subject and we will discuss our thoughts and feelings around that. And it will happen next week and the week after. And then we will go back to regular scheduled programming but of course we will be posting memes posting thoughts posting everything about what's happening currently we just won't be doing an episode on it so put that in your pipe and smoke it (laughs) but have a lovely rest of the week and that's all that's all bye bye